1: control. Who's the sad person, the depressed person, the defeated person? He's the one who only sees the problems, only sees the problems in front of him and not the solution that God can bring. In my dark times of depression, when I get my eyes off the depression and look to the Lord and go into the scriptures, play Christian music and read his word, I am brought out of it immediately. Because my eyes are now focused on Him who is able to do according and exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or imagine.
0: Do you want to stand in victory after every challenge you face in life? Go to God. Spend time in His Word. Pray to Him and ask Him for strength. Pastor Dave wants you to know today that the wisdom and strength God gives is more than enough for anything you have to go through, no matter how big or small. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings Chapter 6 as he continues his message, The battle belongs to the Lord.
1: Lord. My servant, take heart, believe, have faith. Those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And I'm sure the guy's going, what? Gotta be looking around like, yo, Elisha, stop sipping the Arabian coffee, man. But Elisha knew what to do, didn't he? What did he do? Ah, he prayed. How about that? What a novel approach. Elisha prayed. Elisha prayed. He knew exactly what to do. And you know what, folks? Oh, how I wish that was my first response. Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes, man, I'm boom, I'm praying. But usually it was for somebody else. When it comes to me, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? What's going on here? It was always my first response to pray. It was always my first response to play, instead of an afterthought. Elisha knew that the only thing that his servant saw were the many horses and the chariots that were surrounding him. What did he want his servant to do? He wanted his servant to get his eyes off the problem and onto the Lord. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. He went on Elisha to have faith and see a God who is stronger and mightier than any armory that could ever be assembled. He wanted the servant to look up and be in awe at what was about to happen and be surrounded by even greater things. If you're in a difficulty and you're having troubles, I'm saying to you right now, brothers and sisters, with all my heart, get your eyes off of the problem, get them off of the circumstance, and look to God. Keep your eyes focused on God. Why did Jesus say, let not your hearts be troubled? You believe in God, believe also in me. When you're looking at the problem, fear is going to take over your body. Because guess what? We have some major problems out there, folks. There are some problems that look like huge mountains. But to God, they are molehills. They are nothing to be handled by a wonderful living God who cares so much about you, who loves you so much that he will allow his own son to go to a cross for you. And he wants nothing more than to show himself strong on your behalf. So don't let the fear overtake you. Know that God has a control, even regardless of what it looks like. We walk by faith, not by sight. You see the situation? The first thing, oh, no. What am I going to do? God's got it under control. God has got everything under control. Everything. Notice Elisha didn't pray for God to take away the situation. He didn't pray, Lord, wipe them out. David would have. (laughs) King David and this David would have said, get rid of them, God. Wipe them out. Change my heart in the midst of the situation, Lord. Let me see you in the midst of this, Lord. Let me see you. Elisha wanted to increase this servant's faith, so he prayed, open his eyes. Open his eyes, Lord. We used to sing, remember, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Why? I want to see you high and lifted up. The Lord answers Elisha's prayer just like that. The young man all of a sudden sees mountain full of horses and chariots of fire. I would have loved to have seen his face. I want to see his face. I want to see what he did when he saw that. Then he goes, go, I can't imagine what that must have looked like. Did he go, oh, we got him now. What, what did he do? I think of things like that. Can you imagine this sight? Looking up at these mountains and seeing chariots. Horses and chariots are one thing, but chariots of fire. Whew. Man, that must be incredible. Incredible. The servant was spiritually blind. The servant couldn't see spiritual things. So Elisha prayed that the Lord would open up his eyes and let him see spiritual things. The work of spiritually opening eyes is a spiritual work and it belongs to God. And God does it. Scripture says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And I've told you time and time again, I apply it two ways. Unless you are born again, you will not go to heaven and see it physically. And unless you are born again, you will not see spiritual things. Because unless you're born again, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit to see spiritual things. What a blessing it would be if we're in a situation that seems daunting and overwhelming. We're not to be able to fear, but if we could just believe that God knows and sees and that God protects his own children. God protects it like a good father always will, protects his kids. We would pray and the Lord would give us eyes to see the solution. Not the problem, that we would see the solution. And we too would see that we're surrounded by angels on every side. And nothing can befall us that God won't allow it to happen. We are surrounded all the way. Look through the scriptures, folks. Please, you know them as good as I do, or maybe even better. The Lord says to us, I will never leave nor forsake you. I'm going to complete the work I started in you. I work all things together for good. There is nothing that can separate you from my love. And I will meet all your needs according to my riches because I am a God that heals. Listen to that. We need to take that into our heart and go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. I know, that's a song. We need to have that in our hearts and say yes. All of God's promises are what? Yes Yes and amen. Yes and amen. All God's promises are yes and amen. We need to believe that. That's called faith. That's called faith. There is no fear when you're walking in the will of God. When you walk in the will of God, there is no fear. Remember, I think it was when Jesus was going up to the Feast of Tabernacles. His disciples didn't want him to go up. They were worried about him because everybody wanted to kill him. Everybody wanted to get him. But Jesus went up anyhow because he was on a divine timetable. He was on a divine timetable. He knew nothing would happen to him until his hour would come. Well, guess what, folks? You're on a divine timetable. God has the divine timetable for your life. We really need to see the reality of those spiritual forces that are surrounding us and keep us safe. Who is the person who is joyful and rejoices in all things who gives thanks? It is the person who believes in the promises of God. The person who is satisfied with the promises of God and believes in the promises of God and has them tucked away deep in their heart and is always joyful because he knows God's got it under control. Who's the sad person, the depressed person, the defeated person? He's the one who only sees the problems, only sees the problems in front of him and not the solution that God can bring In my dark times of depression, when I get my eyes off the depression and look to the Lord and go into the scriptures, play Christian music and read his word, I am brought out of it immediately because my eyes are now focused on him who is able to do according and exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or imagine. Paul loved the Ephesian church. He really did. I always contend that it probably was one of his most favorite, but in the beautiful book of Ephesians, which is being studied on Sunday mornings. I don't know if you're in verse 18 yet, but in verse 18, Paul prays what? That the Ephesians' eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. That the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. I love that. Right before that, Paul prayed that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And now he says, and I want them to see it. I want them to see you. And he desires that they would be aware of that spiritual dimension that surrounds all of us. One of the reasons Paul was sent to the Gentiles, according to Ananias, when Jesus was talking to Ananias, was to open the eyes of the Gentiles, turning them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. God will protect you. He has you right where he wants you. You are in the palm of his hand. And when I read scripture, it says nothing can take you out of that palm. Nothing can take you away. So as we've looked at this chapter, we see a God who sees, a God who knows. We have seen that a God who protects. And in the last verses, we're going to see a God who shows great mercy, a God who shows great mercy, 18 through 23. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray with blindness. And he, the Lord, struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to him, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was, when they had come to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw that they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, My father, shall I kill them? <laughs> shall I kill them? But he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set fruit and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Wow, I love that. This is pretty cool. He's surrounded by this great army. He is surrounded by the army of the Lord ready to do battle. And then the Lord impresses upon him hard. He prays again. He said, blind their eyes. Blind them. And the Lord blinds these men. And he goes out to see them. He goes out to see them. And they don't recognize him because they can't see. They probably couldn't tell if it was his voice or not. But he goes out there and he speaks to them. And you know what? Just as I read this, I'm going to call George Lucas and say, hey, you got force from this. The force from this, pal. Because he went out there and he did a Han Solo to him. I'm not the guy you're looking for. Go away. Thank you for those of you who have seen Star Wars. Thank you very much. <laughs> George Lucas stole it from scripture. Well, this is what Elisha does. Elisha goes out there and says, I'm not the guy. Well, where is he? I'll take you to him. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Again. The Lord prays that these guys would be blind. Once again, Elisha does not pray that the Lord would destroy the army. Think about that. He didn't pray that the Lord would destroy the army. Why? Because we sang, God of mercy, sweet love of mine, I have surrendered to your design. May this offering stretch across the skies and these hallelujahs be multiplied. We sang that just today. We sang that. God is a God of mercy, a God of everlasting mercy. We have received his mercy. We have not gotten what we deserved. We received this wonderful, beautiful mercy. Elisha understood the mercy of God. And he goes out and meets the soldiers. He tells them that they're in the wrong place. Is he lying? No. He left the city of Dolphin and came to them, and he was on his way to Samaria. So he wasn't lying. So he leads them to the capital building, or the capital of Samaria, which is in the northern kingdom of Israel. The king comes out and says, okay, good, let's kill him. you got to love the king. Interesting here, the king calls Elisha father. He calls him father. Did you see that in Scripture? My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And I love the fact that he's asking. See, he may be paganistic. He may be someone who worships Baal, but he knows Elisha is a man of God. He knows that he's the real thing and he better not mess around. So he shows reverence. He shows awe and respect to Elisha by calling him father. And I like that about the king. Probably saved his life. But he is double-minded because we're going to read in the next chapter that he wants to chop Elisha's head off, so that's okay. Elisha's reply must have really taken the king aback. He took everything out of the king's hand, and he put everything into the hand of God. And this is what we need to do with our problems. Take them all out of our hands and place them into the hand of God. That's what we need to do with our problems. The Lord was the victor here. This was a great victory for the Lord, not the king. These were not prisoners of war, they were guests. So what's the one thing you do with guests? Feed them. Feed them. Solomon, in all his glory, long before this venture, writes this in Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. You know it, but I'm going to read it to you anyhow. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so doing, you will reap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful words. Paul, writing to the Roman church in Romans 12, 20 and 21, uses this same verse. And they represent the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 and Luke 6. Interesting. Many people read this and go, Yeah. Coals of fire on their head. Well, they're going to burn up? Oh, man, they're going to be crispy critters. Coals of fire on their head. But that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that. In the days of Elisha, when a fire went out, they had to go to the neighbor and see if they could get some fire or hot coals that they could keep. And they would take a pot, and they would put the coals in the pot. Now, where do they carry everything in those days? On their head. They would carry them on their head. Paul was telling the Romans, don't burn someone up, warm them up. Don't burn them out, help them out. And then he says in 1221, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. King of Israel wanted to kill the Syrians, but Elisha wants to show them kindness. He wants them to show the mercy of God. See, remember, Elisha is doing what? He's revealing to the world the character of God. This makes him a type of Christ. He is revealing to the world what God is like. He is demonstrating, manifesting, remember the study, manifesting God to these people that have never seen God. They have no idea who God is, and he's manifesting God to them by showing mercy, by showing love, by showing care. Israel's a covenant in nation and the lord fights the battles and continues to fight it folks we too are a covenant nation we're called a holy nation a royal priesthood we are special to him and the lord will fight your battles as well and he wants to fight your battles he wants to fight your battles they ate and they were full and they were sent on their way not one of them died oh what great mercy what great mercy love covers a multitude of sin And it was poured out upon these people. They probably didn't even know what to do with themselves. They expected any minute that their heads would be chopped off. They deserved death. Just like we did. We deserved death. But we received mercy. We reserved mercy. Can you imagine? We're going to end here. Can you imagine if this kind of kindness replaced all those deeply rooted and ethnic and religious differences that are in the world today? Can you imagine that this kind of kindness replaced national pride and greed among nations? Can you imagine that? Let's take it one step further. Can you imagine how the kindness replaced between bickering brothers and sisters and bickering husbands and wives? You think about what this kindness would do, or how about, let's take it even further. How about the kindness if it would, how about we took the quarreling between Christian brothers and sisters, the gossiping and tearing each other down, if we replaced that with kindness. Just think what it would do. Just think what it would do. What if we really esteemed each other better than ourselves, that Paul writes to the Philippian church? What if we really looked out for everybody else's interests as long as our interests too? What if, we, what if I esteemed you higher than me? Just think of that. Think of that. What if I showed you more mercy than, instead of judgment? What if you showed each other more mercy instead of judging, bickering and quarreling? You you know what he said about me? Well, yeah, guess what they said about me. What does that do to God? What does that do to him? Can you imagine as he's looking down going, Oy vey, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with you guys? Can you imagine the conflict that would be reduced if we showed kindness one to another? Kindness. You know, this just popped into this empty space up here. The person who came up with random act of kindness day kind of had it right. Doing something for someone just out of random, not because you're obligated to, not because you have to, but because the Lord tells you to. A random act of kindness. It could be whatever. I don't know. Imagine that. Imagine that. Even among Christians, we have been called by Jesus Christ himself to love one another the way he has loved us. Love one another the way I have loved you, he said. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Think about that. My heartfelt prayer that we would all look for the good in each other instead of always looking and pointing out the bad. If we would judge ourselves before we judged others. Scripture tells us clearly to, to take the railroad tie out of our eye before we remove the speck in somebody else's eye. If we would forgive others the way we want to be forgiven for our faults and our mistakes, we would forgive others if we would love others the way we want to be loved, and if we would treat others the way we want to be treated, to me, that's the good book. That's the word of God. And that's what it says. And that's what I see Elisha doing. And Elisha is a type of Christ. We saw Christ doing it all through the gospels. And we see the apostles doing it all through the book of Acts. And Paul constantly writes about it in his epistles. And we see Peter and James and and John writing about it in their epistles. And Jude and Philemon, the person who wrote the book of Hebrews, probably Apostle Paul. But we see all these things in life. And when you see things like that, when you see it in the Old Testament, when you see Christ and Christ speaks about it and the apostles are doing it and you see him writing about it, then that means the church should be doing it too. That's what we should be living by. Call it what you want. The golden rule. I don't care what you call it. But there's merit there. We've been praying for this one accord and one thing that Jesus prayed for us when we studied John 17. That we would be one just as he and the Father are one. Us in him. Him in the Father. That we're all one. Well, that's not going to happen until we get on the same plane. Until we get on the one accord. Until the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, knock it off. Stop talking about that person and love on them. Stop treating that person that way and give them your time. And folks, remember, I had to go through this first before I'm giving it to you. So after I got knocked around five or six times in the room, now I'm be able to knock you around five or six times. But this is something. Can you imagine a church that would do that? Can you imagine if a church would do that? My gosh. We'd have to go to 20 services. This is what everyone is looking for. This is what the world is looking for. We need to treat each other the way we want to be treated. Always remember that. Always remember that. Come alongside your brother or sister if they're taken into a fault. Hey, brother, what's happening? Can I help you out? What can we do? How can we pray together? You know, we're going to go to prayer right now. Maybe some of you have a burden right now. You need to be prayed for. You need to be lifted up. As I said earlier, the Lord is answering prayers. He's doing a mighty work in answering our prayers. He's hearing our cries. So we need to come before him with a clean heart and a pure heart and know that he wants to show himself strong on your behalf. Your behalf. You are assured.
0: This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. As you notice in the course of history, an entire nation can be led astray by following after other gods. But the leader of the nation is the one who sets the example. In so many cases in 2 Kings, the one who was in charge was himself acting wickedly or was swayed by the people who were doing evil practices. Unfortunately, you see the downfall and destruction of a nation when it chooses to stray from following after God. What does that mean for today? What are the patterns and practices being set into place in this nation? When you refer to history, it doesn't look promising. But that doesn't mean that you have to give in to societal pressures and practices. Your example of standing up against the norms could affect others around you. You never know who's observing and how they might change their own perspective based on your example. If you have any questions about what you heard today, you can reach us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- We encourage you to keep looking to scripture for answers about all of life's questions. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. If you want to hear this message again or others like it you'll be able to find them on our website AssureHopeRadio.com Don't forget to join us again next time to learn more valuable lessons in 2 Kings right here on Assure Hope.